0: Thanks for tuning into the Live It podcast. My name is Jason Walton, the host. I'm really excited about the content that we're gonna be sharing because it's gonna be extremely helpful to entrepreneurs and to other high achievers. As entrepreneurs, we can choose to engage in producing a good or a service that makes the world a better place, enriching the lives of everyone associated with it. Let's not settle for anything less. In addition, I'm gonna regularly challenge each of us to increase our awareness of the needs of people around us and then to boldly take action. We're gonna make the world a better place, not just through the goods and services we produce and not just through the jobs we create, but by flooding the world with love and kindness. The information my guests are going to be sharing on the podcast is going to be based on our life experiences it's not meant to be warranted as absolute truth we don't stand behind the accuracy of the things that we're sharing sorry feel free to fact check and do some homework on your own it'll go a long way and it'll be a very useful exercise thanks for being a part of the Live It community i hope you embrace and enjoy the journey our guest this week on the liveit podcast is digital marketing media expert Ted Roxbury. Ted is formerly the CEO of Clearlink, where he worked for 13 years and eventually was instrumental in growing it to, I believe, over 2,000 employees. And uh, Ted, you've you've told me that you kind of described yourself as a as an expert in in digital media. I'm curious, like, what's how would you define digital media, and how's that different than digital marketing or digital content?
1: Yeah, thanks, Jason. So I tend to um, describe it either as digital media or internet media. And the difference between that and digital, say digital marketing is that digital marketing is a set of tactics. SEO, paid search, display, social media, advertising. And those things are all great, but in a vacuum, um, they don't add a ton of value. And so digital media to me is the combination of content creation, branding, uh, digital marketing, and bring those all together to create powerful um, internet brands, essentially.
0: Thank you so much for taking time to, to be on the podcast today. Uh, you're one of the more interesting and smart mm-hmm. individuals that I know. And and it should just be known for everyone that's watching, like, you're a world-class expert when it comes to digital marketing, digital content, digital media. So, Ted, your path to becoming the CEO of a major media company is a little unorthodox. Uh, share with us what, how that happened.
1: Yeah, it is, it is a little unorthodox. And um, if you go back a little bit in time, I'll make it brief. Uh, um, I left high school with the desire to be a mechanical engineer. I went to Northeastern University in Boston. I studied for mechanical engineering for three years and, and then realized I had no desire to do mechanical engineering work. And so I dropped out of college. Um, I went down to Southern South America and did a semester with a program called Knowles, the National Outdoor Leadership School. Uh, It's a great program. If there's any college kids out there thinking about it, I'd highly recommend it. Uh, And I learned basic wilderness leadership skills um, in the middle of nowhere Patagonia. And it was incredible. And uh, fell into mountain guiding. From there, I started um, climbing and skiing and taking people on adventures all around the world. And, um, that led me to Alta, Utah, which is here and uh, up in the mountains here. And, um, I ran out of money. I was a ski bum, had no money and I needed a job. So what, what do you do as a ski bum? You go to Craigslist and you look for a job. And so I was on Craigslist browsing, you know, the job section and I found this company called Clearlink. And so I applied for the job and, uh, sure enough, they hired me the next day. And I started as a web developer, uh, got into SEO, and then, you know, worked my way through the company. I'm happy to talk more about that well, uh, So, was that sh- if you'd like.
0: Oh, I do. Yeah. So was it new for you to do web developing and to do SEO or did you have some background?
1: Yeah, I started, I took a web development course like in in the end of high school, was super new at the time, and um, built some websites with friends and then in college took some programming classes and, you know, had the basic fundamentals of, of um, HTML and CSS and when they hired me to Clearlink, I thought I was pretty good at web development. You know, I, I was building tables and rows and, you know, using span classes and CSS and uh, quickly realized after my first week of work that I was actually pretty bad at it. At the, at the end of my first week of work, my boss walked up to me and she said, Ted, we're paying you to develop websites, not design them. And I need three a week or you'll be fired. Three a week? I got to build three websites a week. I can't do this. So I pretty quickly uh, found somebody that was really good at web development and hired them to do my job. And um, they, they were able to do five a week. Uh, this is now one of my, one of my best friends here. Um, and he went on to have a 12 year successful career at Clearlink as well. Also at Clearlink. Also at Clearlink, yeah. And um, so, so my philosophy throughout the years at Clearlink was to find somebody that was significantly smarter and better at whatever it was I was doing and hire them to do my job. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, I I left Clearlink with a team of um, amazing people surrounding me, doing great work, and uh, I was just there to support them, really.
0: Well, I've met a few of those people, and they behind your back they sing your praises. Well, I, I'm being serious; they really do. Thank you. Yeah, so that's in a way that can only be earned. Thank you. Uh, so, wow, you were you went from mountain guiding to digital media. What was the bridge between the two? Yeah, one of the the common themes throughout my
1: life has has always been leadership. I always kind of fall into these leadership roles or gravitate toward these leadership roles. And um, mountain guiding is is about leadership. It's about leading people in the mountains and keeping them safe. And you know, working at Clearlink uh, was about leading people and and keeping their jobs safe. Uh, there's one key difference though between leading people in the mountains and leading people in the office, and that is that most of the time your life's not on the line. And that was a tough lesson for me to learn. When you're in the mountains leading people, literally, they have to do what you say or they can die. You know, if they don't tie their knot correctly, if they don't clip the rope in correctly, if they don't use their ice axe correctly, they're going to fall off that mountain and die. And when you're in the office, if you don't get the job done right, it's not life or death. It's just a game, you know? And so being able to transition from life or death leadership to business leadership was a hard one for me. I had to soften my tone i had to change my approach i had to you know think about things a little bit differently in a way that would encourage people to do the right thing without
0: demanding it so if they're if they're ice climbing and you see they're doing something wrong you're probably going to yell with some intensity not like that no don't <laughs> yeah, no. exactly but if you if you see someone writing some html code wrong <laughs> you're not going to go and go no.
1: Well, that's how I started it, clearly. I started with that <laughs> a little intensity. little Yeah. And uh, that didn't go over too well. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty quickly learned that um, there's more about a, a collaborative approach to leadership in yeah. the office than in the wilderness.
0: It's just it's interesting that you bring that up. <laughs> My wife and I recently returned from Africa where we hiked Mount Kilimanjaro. And our guide was a fellow named Ben Stone. Ben was unbelievable. And he had complete control of all 60 people in our group. And uh, we all hung on every word that Ben said. And Ben and I talked about entrepreneurship and I said, Ben, you would be an amazing entrepreneur. And mainly just because of the confidence that he exerted that made everyone follow him unquestioningly. Hmm. And I think that as entrepreneurs, we're constantly selling a vision and asking the people who we're working with to buy into that vision of one, thinking it's going to work, and then also wanting to give your best effort. I'm curious if some of those skills that you learned in mountain guiding uh, translated uh, to being the CEO of Clearlink, especially relating to confidence. Yeah,
1: Yeah. that's a great question, Jason. I think... Um the confidence side of things is really interesting because as a CEO, as a leader of a business, you you do need to be confident. You need to set your vision. You need to come in with um, authority and assertiveness. Uh, but also I learned over the years that as the company grew and as the team grew, that I needed to dial back my confidence a little bit. <laughs> you know, I When you're in the mountains, you need to be confident. When you're in business, you need to be also confident but it's not as I was saying earlier, it's not as as life or death right <laughs> there's there are some uh there's some wiggle room within the business landscape and so um as i built my team and as i continued to invest in the people around me i realized that my um unwavering confidence could be a little overwhelming sometimes and so i i started to approach it more from a perspective of maybe 90% confident instead of 100% <laughs> confident you know coming to the team saying, "Well, I think I think this could be the right idea. I'm 90% confident that that this will work or I'm 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 pretty sure this is the right path for us right now." Um, leaving a little bit of room for the for the other leaders on the team to have an opinion, to have you know share their ideas, to share some of the direction um that they have in their minds with the company as well.
0: So, it's interesting the way you worded that because I can relate with that from my career of of instances where you have a, an idea, but there's almost a skill sometimes that where you want to bring it to your executive team, and let's just be honest, hope that you can help lead a discussion where they just leads back to your idea. Yeah, and yeah. so, <laughs> but they discover it. I bring that up to say that a lot of times they add to those ideas, mm-hmm. or the ideas morph, and I realize, oh, I'm really glad I brought it to this executive team because they came with better ideas, exactly, and we came with a better solution. Wow. And, uh, but there still is a skill involved, I think with trying not to be too heavy and trying to get buy-in and, and, and a good collaborative culture.
1: Yeah. It took me a long time to learn the skill of like planting the seed. Like I used to, I used to come into the office and be like, this is what we're going to do. I've got this new idea. We've got this strategy. We're going to go do this. And over the years, I, I became a little bit more indirect, a little bit softer about that, you know, bump into someone in the hallway and say, Hey, have you heard about this new competitor? Oh no. And then they'll go and research it and come back and say, hey, I looked at this competitor. They're doing this one thing that I think is really interesting. We might want to try that. Like, yeah, let's go try that. Give that a try. But, you know, my my approach previously would have been, hey, look at this thing. Let's go try that. Right. And so now this person comes to me, they have agency of it, they have ownership of it, and it's their idea.
0: Right? And it's and, totally different, right?
1: And it's totally different.
0: <laughs> I mean, when people come up with an idea and they have agency and they develop it, there's a passion. They're,
1: they're so committed to it. They're so excited yeah. for it. And, uh, it's totally yeah,
0: different but, than where you bull beat it into
1: them. Exactly. The more the I've I've learned over the years, the more that I can, um, you know, provide an opportunity, open the door, you know, uh, show people the way, and then let them go run with it. The better off it is.
0: Yeah. So, Ted, why you? I mean, if there's all these people at ClearLink, I think they had thousands and thousands of employees. Yep. Why did you become the CEO? Why wasn't it someone else? Well,
1: honestly, I ask myself that question all the time. You know, I don't I, believe I, you, I
0: think you know the answer. I had a
1: very high level of imposter syndrome for a long time. Um, but to be to be direct to answer your question, I think there's a couple things. One, I live by this mentality of, of trying to find and hire people that were smarter and better than me, at whatever it was that we were looking uh, to do. whether it's web development, or organic search or paid search or uh, you know content creation, et cetera, um, my goal was always find somebody that made me feel dumb. <laughs> in the interview process, right? I want yeah. I want those people to be on my team and I look up to them. Um, and so, so I stack the team with a bunch of really great people. I made a few bad hires along the way and I've got some really good stories there, but um, uh, I stacked the deck with great people that uh, intimidated me, that made me feel uncomfortable because they were so smart. Uh, I think the second one is both my background in engineering and mountain guiding um, gives me a unique perspective to solve complex problems. And so... I was able to come to the table and think about, uh, how we might approach some of these challenges in our business a little differently than some of the other leaders. And I think that allowed me to set the business up for success. It allowed me to, um, find ways to scale the business that others hadn't thought about. So I think those are probably the two, the two biggest ones, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. But I want to drill in a little bit more on hiring. So. Anyone who wants to scale a business, one of the most difficult things is staffing. And I heard you say that you are always hiring people who made you feel dumb, but it's one thing to say you're going to do that. It's another thing to actually be able to do it. Yeah. So what advice do you give on how to actually hire sharp people?
1: Well, there's a couple of things. Um, it's, a, it's a great question. And I know there's a lot of good literature out there about this. So um, I might be totally wrong and feel free to
0: to correct me. Uh, here as well but I don't care what the literature says I want to know how you did it you did it yeah. so like it's just a fact that you did that how did you do it so a couple
1: things one it takes a lot of interviews Uh, I was cleaning out when I left Clearlink nine months ago so I was cleaning out my desk and I kept every single resume that I ever got wow and I had a stack of resumes like this big and um, I remember looking back through those resumes and the notes that I had made on them and it is a lot of interviews to find great people. And so, um, and what I learned over the years is that it's better to take your time and find the right person than to hire somebody quickly because you're feeling the pain of an empty role. And so lots of interviews and lots of time uh, was, was important. The other one too, I found is that the people that tend to do well, at least that did well with me um, tend to have some type of competitive background, whether it's, uh, you know, they were a former pro skier, uh, a former professional poker player. Um, I hired, I hired one of those guys, uh, uh whether they played, you know, in, in, the NCAA, um, you know, we had some former, uh, professional soccer players on the team. Um, I think folks that have that passion, that drive, that competitive edge, um, Coupled with a high sense of or, or high degree of intelligence, uh, seems to do really well. So um, those are probably two of the big ones. And then the last last one I'd say is uh, values alignment, right? Understanding what types of um, uh, people you need on the team, and what seats you want them in, and what values you look for in those people. I think diversity of thought in a team is really important, and um, trying to 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 hire people that are different than the other people around you and around um, on the team is incredibly important.
0: So what I heard you say is you tried to hire smart competitive people who had a shared value system but had diverse ways of thinking.
1: Yeah, there you go. Distilled it down perfectly. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, I, no, I think it's beautiful. I still think it's hard to do. Yeah. So, And I'm guessing, this is a different conversation, but I'm guessing to keep those people on the team when they're competitive requires you to be able to gamify things. Yeah. Because competitive people need to be able to win. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were kind of fortunate uh, when we were building Clearlink, we were in a, a, a several industries uh, that were growing and were, were changing pretty rapidly. And we we're in a, a relatively new um, medium being the internet. I mean, this is, you know, late uh, 2008, 2009 kind of time frame, but still like digital media and digital marketing were still up and coming at that time. And so the amount of growth that we experienced and the amount of uh, competitors we knocked off along the way uh, ended up being a, a pretty good um, incentive uh, plan for our team.
0: Yeah, I found that in order to be effective in business, it's really helpful to hire competitive people. If you have competitive people, they're not going to stay if you if you don't have a way they can compete. Yep. And so that as, as CEOs and as managers, it's important to, to be able to gamify hmm. uh, jobs so the competitive people have a way to shine, and they can continue in their their college their college glory. Yeah, <laughs> as they Love win. That. That. Um, but how how did you hire people with diversity of thought? How did you attract them?
1: I don't know if I have the ability to answer that question. Most of the at a high level, most of our recruiting happened from a recruiting team. Okay. So um, at Clearlink, we built a a pretty strong and diverse recruiting team, and we tasked them. Um, with the effort of finding a diverse set of people to come join our group, and so we put specific metrics around um, diversity in our um, hiring plan, and okay. know, we we worked um, we supported our recruiting team in in looking nationally and in some cases globally for the talent that we needed. Um, so I wasn't directly involved in the actual finding of people unless it was a you know an executive level team member. Um, but we had a really solid recruiting team that allowed us to do that.
0: What I heard you say was that you hired diverse recruiters and that then you gave them very specific guidelines of of how to hire a diverse team. And then you recruited nationally and globally. I mean, all those are actual strategies of yeah. how to yeah. how to hire diverse people that I mean I find helpful. Yeah. In just my San Diego office where I spent where I lived, uh, we at one point I think had five people with master's degrees. that were just working in the office. And one of them was in volcanology. And yeah, another one, I mean, another one was an MBA. And to your point, uh, that diversity of thought made things also fun. I think of the educations that we have as being like uh, lenses, like contact lenses that you view the world through. Everything that you see, touch, read goes through the lens of our experience and the lens of our education. Mm -hmm. And so I think hiring people who have diverse educations and diverse life experience is really, really valuable because they're gonna see things, the same things completely differently. Absolutely. And it's just, and it benefits everyone. Completely Speaking good. of which, you don't have a college degree. That's I'd great. love it if you comment <laughs> on like, do, do you wish that you, you'd you finish your degree and got an MBA? It doesn't seem like it's hurting you in work, but I'd love yeah. to hear your thoughts on it.
1: That's correct, I don't have a college degree. I do have about five years of credits spread across four different universities. And so, um, I love to learn and I love to um push myself outside of my comfort zone and try new things but um I've got a pretty severe case of dyslexia and so I have a really hard time learning in the traditional format of somebody lecturing and you listening and trying to absorb the information I learn by doing I learn by hands on getting dirty getting the work done and figuring things out and so for me to sit in a lecture hall and to hear about, listen, listen to, you know, a professor talk about physics is interesting, but it goes in one year, it goes out the other. Uh, so I really struggled with school, with high school, with college, and um, found that for me, the best way to do it was just to get out in the world and experience it and to to uh, learn hands-on.
0: So I have a couple of thoughts about that, having known you a little bit. Number one, it's not like when you go to college, you get that lens of on graduation. Yeah. And so it is not surprising me to know that you studied engineering. From my interactions with you, I can tell that you are coming from an engineering background. And I mean that in the best possible way. I think that to be able to hire engineers into a company is is one of the for me is one of the, my favorite people to to work with. It's a unique lens and it's really, really valuable because I found that it seems to focus on uh creative thinking and solutions, mm-hmm. solving problems. Yep. And uh, so I think it's it's a little bit misleading to say you don't have a college education because you're clearly walking around wearing those lens. Number two, you didn't get an degree in accounting like I did. <laughs> and, and I'm saying that like when I get together with partners or other people and say, hey, here's how our financial statements are going to work. And I'm talking to people who have degrees in finance or marketing and accounting. You understand financial statements and all things finance related better than almost everyone that I've worked with that has those kind of degrees. So how did you do that?
1: Well, thank you. Um, trial and error. The the good thing about being at ClearLink is we had uh, a really good CFO, and uh, he was very open to me experimenting with his P and L documents and his spreadsheets. So I would build a I would build a model and I would you know hack it together and and look at it and say yeah this looks pretty good and I'd send it over to him and he'd be like well. Let me let me update that for you, and he you know move things around and create the you know more dynamic equations and in, in Excel for me and uh, send it back and say hey what do you think of this like oh that's great and then I would we'd go and look at another deal and I would you know append something else onto it and it's just all trial and error you know and and being supported by really smart people.
0: But the point is, you took the time to learn it, and figure it out. I took the time
1: to learn it and figure it out, and I've probably watched. 100 videos on youtube about excel right and financial statements sure you know and so you know as i as i was growing up uh in my career at clearlink i spent a lot of time on youtube i spent a lot of time on the internet reading watching videos taking notes experimenting uh in excel spreadsheets excel.
0: maybe asking some of the experts uh how they do what they do and, and I, the reason i'm bringing up accounting is to say hey i think that you're awesome at accounting I bring it up to just point out the fact that you taught yourself and continue to teach yourself the things that you need to know. Yeah. That's all. That's right. And then a lot of people who have degrees, walk away with a degree, but they actually don't know the functionality of of what it is they were learning. Yeah. Well, and we were
1: talking about this a little bit before the before the show too. Like I wish that the educational system instilled more of a sense of curiosity. Yeah. In kids, right? Yeah. Like like I want them to come away from school like being curious about the world and wanting to learn more, not being like, oh yes, I I got a hundred percent of my science tests. So I'm done with science now, right? Like, yeah. there's so much great knowledge out in our world that I'd love to see people just continue to be curious and learn.
0: I couldn't agree On more. Couldn't agree more. And I think that it's also a mistake to think that I have my degree, so now I've learned it. That uh, I had, I was doing a career night with with someone once who was a a really good very specialized patent attorney. Mm. And these kids said, what law school should I go to? He said, get into the highest rated law school that you can possibly get into because no matter what law school that you go to, when you graduate, you will be useless to me. You still won't know enough to actually work. He goes, "So, so when you come work for me, I can put on the wall where you went to law school. He said, but if you're still with me in two, three, four, five years, it's gonna be because as you do your work and I mark it up and explain to you, it's how quickly you can learn it then. Because your, your learning's really going to begin once you start with my firm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that so we true. all need to, to realize that, that that is all of our reality. That education is an ongoing process that never ends. And the people who who take it upon themselves to become experts in whatever they're doing by continuously searching out for education and better solutions and better ways of doing things, those are the people who usually goes it works out pretty well for them. Agreed. Ted, what advice do you have for people who are preparing for a career in digital marketing, digital media?
1: Yeah, I'd say if you're looking to get into digital media, the best thing you can do is go out and do it a little bit on your own before you get a job. It it, it costs you $10 to register a domain name, you know, 20 bucks to get a website uh, set up and running. And uh, go write some content, you know, Uh, buy some ads on Google, you know, uh, design a infographic, whatever it is you want to do, just go do it. You know, I, it's too many times I saw folks, young kids coming into Clearlink interviewing for a marketing internship and I'd ask them what they've done in marketing. They'd say nothing. That's why I'm here. Well, maybe if you had done some before you got here, You'd have a better chance of getting this internship, <laughs> and so that's that's a little harsh. But um, but the reality is like, but like it's true. All of the tools are available. It's true though, right? Online. I mean, you're saying and it's true. You're saying yes. it was
0: harsh, but it's also true, it right? Is true. If you it's a, if you it's a little a bit harsh. prepare, do a little bit of homework. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's really easy um, to find information about digital marketing online because the digital marketers have done a really good job marketing their content online. So if you wanna if you wanna <laughs> learn about SEO, go read about SEO. If you wanna learn about uh, you know content creation, go read about content creation. Go read about you know influencers online. There's so much content online about digital media, digital marketing, content marketing um, that I would highly recommend if you're interested in the category, of the industry, start there, study, research, learn a little bit, test it, do it yourself, and then uh, and then go from there.
0: I couldn't agree more with the story you shared. Uh, the hypothetical where you're doing an interview and someone says, well, I'm just interested in uh, doing digital media, and I thought it could work here the best place. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and work hard. Okay, how did you prepare for the interview? And how'd you prepare before today? Versus someone else who comes in and says, um, I've never done digital media, but it looks interesting. And so, here's how I've been preparing. And I've read this and I've done this and I've done this and I've done this. Yeah. Be, because, I mean, to, for me as a CEO, it's telling me that's how that person prepares and does stuff. The way you do anything is the way you do everything. Yep. So, exactly. if that's how you prepared for your interview, then that's what you're going to do after you get hired. The first person is going to do the same thing. Sit around and say, tell me what to do. Yep. Well, and, Spoon feed me.
1: Yeah. And, and on top of that, I love it when people come in and they've got a list of questions a mile long. Like I read this article about SEO and these three things didn't make sense to me. Did they make sense to you? I love that. Cause then we can sit and have a conversation and debate it and I can share, you know, some of my knowledge and they can question
0: it and we can go back and forth and But I mean, that just goes back to the point that you made earlier that 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 you like to hire people who love learning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I look for an intense
1: sense of curiosity in the people that I that I hire.
0: Yes. So recently you were teaching me about a concept called the unthinkable third, which I found fascinating. So would you care to enlighten us?
1: Sure. Yeah. As I think back over my career, there's been a few, uh, there's been a lot of losses, but a few of the losses that I've had along the way, a few of the challenges I've had along the way tend to be tied to this, uh, this thing called, that that I call the unthinkable third. And I think this comes from um, the film industry where um, in a movie you have two like – kind of outcomes that you're expecting, right? Either, either this is gonna happen or that's gonna happen. And some of the best movies out there, there's it, it it ends uh in a way that you totally did not expect it. And and they call that the unthinkable third. And so when I when I've gone in to do these- So would an
0: example be like Luke Skywalker's fighting Darth Vader? You think is Luke going to win? Is Vader going to win? Oh, we found out it's his father.
1: Yes, exactly. There's the unthinkable third. It's yeah. that okay. situation that you couldn't have imagined happening. And um, when I look back over my career, there's been a few times where I've I've lost deals, say with a new client, that were totally unexpected. And it was because my competitor came in with this unthinkable third, with this new possible, with this new approach, this new solution, this new angle that I hadn't thought of. I haven't even, even Vaguely thought of, and um, I love the idea of like trying to trying to take the entire equation and flipping it on its head and and figure out a solution that nobody has ever even considered. And um, while those are hard to do, when you can pull them off, they're 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 pretty exciting.
0: So, what are some uh, skills or principles of effectiveness that uh, that you learned in your time as as an executive?
1: That's a great question. So early, we were talking about hiring. Uh, people and trying to find the right people to bring onto your team. Yeah. I think after that, one of the keys to success is uh, being able to develop, help your people develop and support them, right? The idea is that the the philosophy that I've worked off of is I want to find really smart, curious, ambitious uh, people that have a lot of potential to grow. And uh, one of the hardest things is, is um, helping people unlock their potential because it's, it's one thing to to have a lot of potential. It's another thing to actually um, realize it and and to uh, to explore it. And so, I think in the office, finding ways to create really close relationships and really deep relationships with um, with the people on your team allows you to get to know them better and to to understand where they their potential lies and what's holding them back. And the more I found, the more that I could do to um, identify. Uh, my team members' um, challenges or or um, uh, things that are holding them back, the better I could do at at building them up and helping them unlock their potential, if you will.
0: That's that's great advice, and I think it's the funnest part of a career. Though our mission statement is to improve the quality of life, you know, for our team members and our community. And I think one of the main ways that we improve the quality of life for the people we hire is is by developing them mm-hmm. helping them to have increased skill set helping them to have an increased confidence increased ability to be effective so they can uh progress in in every aspect of their life not just the roles at work but every role that they have yeah. in their family lives and elsewhere
1: absolutely it it's so incredibly rewarding to see uh people grow from this college intern into an executive, you know, at a large company, and and have a great successful career, and also be in a, a state of mind where they actually enjoy what they do. You know, I, too often I see uh, executives that are that are running around um, like like a chicken with their head cut off, where it's just, it's so stressful and it's so uh, demanding and draining, they're not even enjoying things. And when it comes down to it, really business is just a big game, right? We're just playing this game. We're all trying to win. And uh, so why not let's why not have fun while we do it?
0: Yeah, I know some of the executives that you've developed. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll say that not only did they become world-class at what they do, but they really just blossomed in self-esteem and confidence. Mm-hmm. And that was under your your leadership. Well, that's great to hear. Yeah, I think yeah. you teach teach seminars and workshops on on that one. <laughs> Speaking of our self perception, Ted, you you're a pretty fit guy, and I'm curious what kind of a priority personal health is to you.
1: Well, I would say I'm relatively fit. You know, I I've got a long way to go still, and uh, you know, a lot of objectives I want to accomplish. But um, to me, there's two things at play. One, being outside is my um, happy place. Is my centering place, and so uh, specifically being outside and being in a flow state. And so I use sports like skiing, rock climbing, mountain biking, um, kayaking to get outside and get into flow states. And for me, that is such a like rejuvenating experience and such like a, a filling experience. Uh, while I might come back tired, like physically, mentally, emotionally, I tend to, um, to do much better after I, I spend time in the wilderness and, and time pushing my limits. And one of the things I learned at Clearlink was that I performed significantly better in the office for my team when I was fit, when I had eaten well, when I had slept well, when I had exercised the day before, um, you know, when I wasn't over-caffeinated, when I wasn't full of sugar. And so to me, performing in the business sense, um, really came down to being fit, being healthy, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, um, eating right, sleeping right, and um, feeling good about myself. And when I did, I was much a much better leader for my team, and I was a much better uh, person to be around in general. So yeah, to me, fitness is super important, and it comes down to five things. It's it's you know your physical fitness, your your strength, your endurance um your flexibility it comes down to your sleep how often you sleep how well you sleep comes down to the food that you eat and the diet that you have it comes down to the, the supplements and uh you know the exogenous molecules that you ingest and um one other that i'm blanking on oh i combined two of the fitness ones but um but yeah it's about um it's all it's also about being mentally resilient and having that uh mental capacity to to deal with challenges. And so those five things together to me make a a fit, healthy and happy human being.
0: You know, one of my favorite parts of your story is, and I don't think it's uncommon, is how you went from mountain guiding uh, to being a CEO. And all of us are on a path. Mm. And I really believe that the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Mm. When you were mountain guiding, you were on the path to be the CEO of Clearlink. You may not have known that was your path, but you were on that path. Yeah. You were setting a priority of being physically fit. You were learning skills of how to lead. You were gaining in self-esteem and learning how to command confidence and respect of others mm. and coming up with new and creative solutions. Once you became that person who prioritized learning, you would have done this whether it was Clearlink or somewhere else, you still would have become the CEO. Mm. Even if it wasn't in digital media or digital marketing, I really believe that. Well, thank you for that. Yeah,
1: I appreciate that. That's uh, that's an interesting perspective and not the way I've historically looked at it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. I think every every step we take in this life, everything we learn, every person we get to know, every relationship we build uh, is is taking us further down that path. And oftentimes we don't know where that path is leading or what it's, you know, what it's gonna result in, but yeah, absolutely.
0: So you would say you didn't go to digital media and you went into trucking, then mm-hmm. you would have shown up and you would have been still intense as you prepared to be when you were mountain guiding and probably jumping in a little heavy. You would have learned all the same principles. You'd have thought outside the box. Uh, you'd have learned how to develop people. You would have just learned things that other people weren't willing to learn, put in time people other people were not willing to put in and you'd have become the head of the trucking company. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I just think that that you became the person, the career followed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And if you had told me, you know, 15 years ago that I was going to be the CEO of a digital media company, I would have laughed at you <laughs> just like I laughed when you said the head of a trucking company, because <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to happen. But <laughs> I have other, I have other plans in the works. So yeah, we'll we'll could, come back to that next time though.
0: Yeah. other are plans that work. That's why if you decided yeah. you want to be over a trucking company, you would, it's yeah. just, that's just not your plan. Yeah. Um, so we had a great conversation today where we were talking about an executive leadership concept of second and third order thinking. I love it. If you'd flush that out for us a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I I love this concept and I spent a lot of time at Clearlink thinking about how to leverage kind of second order and third order thinking. I think, I don't know if it's recognized as, uh, as such, or if there's a term, if it's an official term or not, but it is uh, now. Yeah. Second, third order done, thinking. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's official somewhere, but um I love this concept of really trying to build a decision tree behind every decision that you make, right? If I'm going to decide today that I'm going to, I mean, we're just talking about fitness. I'm going to eat a bunch of cookies and have a couple of Coca-Colas. I'm going to feel bad tomorrow, right? And most people, uh, when they think about it, like, yeah, I'll feel a little bad tomorrow, but it's worth the pain today. But what about in a week? right, when I've gained five pounds and I didn't go on that bike ride because I wasn't feeling well and that means that I missed, uh, I didn't sleep well the night, you know, the night before because I had too much caffeine and I missed this interview and, you know, what are all the other implications that come along with the decisions that you make? And I think a really good leader has the ability to think not only to the second order of consequences, but to the third and beyond and understand uh, truly how the decisions they make impact um, themselves and those
0: around them, long term, the organizations, and, yes. the culture, uh, what impact it's going to have on the customers. Yeah. And I think that this line of thinking is particularly relative when we talk about scaling a business. Mm. Yeah. So as you're as you're putting together job descriptions and how you advance, uh, that 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 can change when you're uh, a ten million dollar company and then you're a hundred million dollar company and you're a three hundred million dollar company. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it, that, that requires some good second, third order uh, thinking in order to make that seamless and productive.
1: It does. And, and oftentimes you get it wrong, but what it does is it, is it makes you slow down a little bit and think about what you're actually doing and, and the potential implications of the decisions that you're making. It's really like chess. It is like chess. You're trying to think two, three, five, seven, twelve 12 moves ahead. Yeah. And really understand where, where it's all gonna play out. and. And uh, the times that I got most tripped up were those unthinkable thirds that we were talking about earlier, the idea that that I didn't think about this even as a possibility. Uh, but most of the time when things went wrong, there was some type of um, element in my decision-making framework that indicated that was a possibility. And when you have those uh, possibilities already mapped out, the failure is way less intense. It's way less... Um, scary. It's way less um impactful to your your psyche if it was already known, if it was a known possibility and you accepted it.
0: You've already shared a couple of examples of this already, but one of my favorite things to ask executives is if you can share one or two stories that, that our favorite teacher taught you. And our favorite teacher is failure.
1: Mm. That is a good question. I love that question. I, I feel like I've I've built my career on the On failures, I mean, there have been so many uh, along the way. Uh, There's a couple. There's a couple um, lessons that come to mind, and one of them, I think I mentioned mentioned a little bit earlier, is that really this this business that we're building, whatever it is, is just a game. Like like we're in this game, and we're all playing it together, and we're trying to create value for consumers, or we're trying to create value for our employees, and. You know, at the end of the day, we're we're trying to level up our society, but really, um, if you take it too seriously, it's not any fun. Both yourself, your business, your career—like it's important to to enjoy the ride. It's important to to spend time with your family and with your kids, and and uh, be present in this life because it's so easy to get wrapped up in the game of of work and business. Uh, And and lose sight of what's really important. And that is the relationships we have, the love in our heart, the people that we care about.
0: I think the process is the destination. And we forget that. Well, Ted, thanks for taking time and joining us. Uh, You're someone who I have a a lot of respect for. And uh, I'm really, really honored to be able to count you as one of my friends. Well, thank
1: you, Jason. I I am really honored to be here. And this uh, experience with the lights and the cameras, all of this <laughs> stuff is very uncomfortable for me.
0: Yeah, me and, too. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I'm not comfortable in front of yeah. the camera. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a little bit uncomfortable. Absolutely. And to, uh, to be here with you, it's an honor.